Hello Balloon Artist Podcast Nation, what's up? Zivi Kivi here and today's interview is with Narel Fouché. There's so much to tell about Narel Fouché but here's one fun anecdote that is really amazing. As a Balloon Artist College member, she did Challenge 1 two years ago and took the deliverables to a shopping mall that saw her balloons and was totally amazed and booked her ever since to do costumes and festivals and decor that built her business. Enjoy the interview. Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, where we get a chance to talk with the veterans. And this is such an amazing opportunity. I really hope you appreciate it, because when you are into the balloon business for so long, you pick up on all sorts of things over time. And your perspective actually builds up your artistic persona. And this is really an exciting privilege today to have a talk with you, Narel Fouché, all the way from Australia. Where in Australia do you live exactly, Narel? Hi, Zivi. I live on the West Coast. So West Perth. Coast. Perth, yeah, West Coast. Yeah. I'm excited about today because we've been through such a journey together for a few years' time, uh, ever since I started with podcasting, I think. And so to see you grow and grow and, and even, you know, these days with, you being one of our instructors in Balloon Artist College is quite quite a journey. But I want to start, go back a bit to the days prior to BAC or, or just to understand a little bit of your journey. Where did you start, Narel, with balloons? I tell everyone this story, trying to one-up my husband. Michael, I was engaged to him at the time that I played my first balloon. He, at the time, was teaching me to still walk, juggle, I know how to fire breathe. I've never put fuel in my mouth. You practice in the shower for weeks before you even try that. I've never gotten to that stage. Uh, you're trying to make a fine mist. If you ever learn fire breathing, start in the shower. And anyway, I went over to Sydney on a conference and saw someone made a whole bunch of sculptures on the table. And at the end of the night, this was just a work conference. They were just decoration. And at the end of the night, no one was taking them because there were no kids there. And I went, oh, <laughs> I'll just pick those up. And I took them back to my cabin and I reverse engineered them. <laughs> so no one actually taught me my first balloon animal. I picked it up. I undid it like I used to undo origami models, enough steps that I could remember to redo it. Then just kept going until I'd undone a dog and redid it. Then I found the giraffe and then I did the bird, which is a little trickier because it sort of comes back on itself. And the next day I found the guy and I went, okay, done those, what's next? That was sort of where I started. I was all trying to just one-up my circus freak of a husband. And when was that? That would, would, it would have been in 97 because we got married in 98. Wow. Um, yeah, I was uh, 18 at the time. I got married at 19. No, oh, no, I was 20. I was 20 by the time we actually got married. But, yeah, I fell in love with a circus performer which we actually had met on a performing arts camp, uh, which I'm going on again at these school holidays coming up with my daughter. She's been the last two years, but now my son's going this year, so we're all going. 
So you've been into performances, into being a performance artist and found balloons and got captivated by them. Did you do any balloon decor at the first few years? Not really. I found a local shop, the balloons I was twisting with this guy's balloons. And I got back to Perth and went, I don't even know where to buy these things. Thankfully, Michael being a circus performer of all sorts, I actually presented him the pig with a tulip and I said, uh, I do something you don't do. And he goes, actually, I do balloons as well. And I went, <laughs> but um, he did know where to buy the balloons. So I paid about $20 for a bag of a hundred. No, about $25. You can get it for about $10 now, but we didn't know these people were ripping us off. And I kind of made a bit of a deal to myself that this would be just a little hobby But if for some reason I could make enough money from that packet of 100 balloons to buy another packet, then that would be my deal. I, was, I would never make the balloons cost us any money. I'd only ever use the money that I got from balloons to buy balloons. And that's always been my philosophy. I've never dipped into the family savings to buy balloons. I've always made more with a packet of balloons than it's ever cost me. Which there aren't many art and craft skills that you can say that with as an amateur, which I think is pretty awesome if you can sell you know a couple of things for fifty cents and you know sell half your packet at fifty cents, then you can buy another packet. It was actually my sister she's always bought me really good presents, like birthday and Christmas. she seems to know exactly what to get me, other than that, we're chalk and cheese, but she always seems to know what. will be a good present. So for Christmas that first year, she bought me a, uh, a really bad book that came with a wrist-killing pump and very plasticky feeling balloons, but I won't go into the details. But it was basically her saying, I like this, keep going. And to get my big sister's approval was a nice little boost. And the fact that I could twist the Marvin Hardy's ball and shooter faster than Michael, then went and gave it a go and shot him right in the chest and it left a bit of a welt. And then we realized you could actually bounce it from one room one side of the room to the other off the wall. went, oh yeah, that, that is a bit of force firing at your chest. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I kind of realized I had a knack for this. I've always been good with my hands. I've always been into arts and crafts of all sorts. Don't get me started now that I have a silhouette machine. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. I've ordered a foil pen and I love my silhouette. I'm, I'm using it to the full extent. I supposedly bought it for balloons. Hardly use it for that, but I use it a lot. <laughs> yeah, so always been good with my hands. And then when balloons were put in them, they just, they just worked. It's a great medium to work with. It is. And I wonder if you can share with me, because these days you do a lot of balloon decor projects as well as costumes and entertainment pieces, but you definitely have crossed the line. If, my, if one might draw a line, we don't, but if it was a line, then you definitely went into balloon decor. The very first one I did was a spiral arch for my sister's wedding, which was meant to go from one side of the pool to the other. First time I'd ever worked with helium. Thankfully, Michael knew how to wear stilts and got them off the roof of the house for me. This was before my kids. Now, Armley just goes up on Michael's shoulders and gets anything off the roof we need. 
Amelie's our daughter. She's 14 and loves circus stuff. So, yeah, the first one I did was a big spiral arch and kind of really only dabbled in it. My kit was 260s for a long time. And then probably about 10 years in, I started picking up the other sizes. Mind you, they were only just being made back then. I can remember the big hoo-ha when 160s were a new thing. For my first several years, I could only get my hands on a standard mix. Being in Australia, I'd heard, like Marvin Hardy's book talked about Diamond Clear. I'm like, I don't have Diamond Clear. I've got ruby red, citron yellow, sapphire, blue, emerald green, quartz, purple. I've got black and I've got white and I've got a solid looking blue. Those were the only colours I had. So I couldn't actually do the astronaut with his helmet because we didn't have clear. So, yeah, looking back now, I don't know how I managed it with so few colours and so few sizes because now I just do. I still sculpt, but now I'm starting to sculpt in big linkaloon weavings rather than because I looked at decor and sorry for anyone who's a pure decor person out there, but a clown or a sculpture of any sort that's just made up of round bubbles stacked in a pole with more little poles sticking out the side. I'm sorry, it's just not at all accurate. To me, it's like Lego, using big chunky things that are squares and calling them round and it just doesn't work. So I like the fact that the Linkaloons can effectively make a weaving skin fabric and I can sculpt that fabric like I can doing a weave with 260s longer thinner in out in out shake it all about and that is something that you've been doing professionally quite often in projects for paying customers or with shopping mall decoration or costumes or with parables in all sorts of fairs very much better <laughs> Right, right, right. And I think this is quite a journey that you've been through. I want to ask you about the process and how by learning from Dave Brand's uh, Paradables concept, learning from Dave Brand's Paradables help you do? Probably the biggest thing I'd made to that date that wasn't a traditional decor thing would have been Buster Balloon's Big Gorilla. So, you know, a 646 was about as big as I'd gone. I had done very, very, very long, like 35 metre long, times that by three for feet, so about 100 feet. Linkaloon wall, about six foot tall, 35 metres long. Sorry. I grew up with a dad who talks in feet and inches and I talk in centimetres and metres, so I convert really easily between them and I'm a bit muddled, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, about six foot tall, about 100 100 feet long. Mixed colours. Oh, I hate working in mixed colours. We just threw them in a bucket and pulled out whatever we did. Uh, it was the only way I can do it. I'm, I'm very much an OCD. It has to be to a pattern kind of person. So organics have been a big challenge for me, but I really enjoyed working with organics as well. So, yeah, David Brand's things, his paradables were eye-opener to me in terms of using the wall effectively and curling it around into a cylinder, and I went, oh, my goodness, why not? 
then I sort of looked at the shapes and I just went, you can build so much on this cylinder tube shape. And it was just about then that I went to my first ever balloon twisting convention. I went to the balloon workshop in Sacramento in 2013 and then heard about the twist and shout balloon manner, the Jack and the Beanstalk combination. And I flew the rest of my family to Rochester and oh, it was a huge eye opener. I want to go back if I, that's why I want to push my business. I want to go back. Yearly trip to America would be my absolute dream. My husband and I have managed this trip to America about once every five years since we've been married. We've just passed the five-year mark and I haven't, we didn't go. And I feel so bad. But anyway, so yeah, Twist and Shout opened my eyes to a lot more. I entered the dress competition at Twist and Shout and got third place. I am very grateful that a few big names weren't there that year because I don't think I'd make the podium if I wasn't for that. But yeah, my little Amelie, when she was eight, and I were up on the podium and that to me was a moment to say, I've made it in the balloon community. I might be this little unknown in Western Australia. To give you a little bit of perspective, Western Australia, Perth is as far from Sydney as LA is from New York. So, you know, it's not easy to just fly there every weekend. It's a fair hop, skip and a jump across the country. I feel very isolated over here. The internet has been has followed me from my early days where we could write on message boards descriptions, like written word descriptions because there were no pictures of how to do a balloon. And I can remember reading this one, you know, it was a, you do a two-inch loop twist, four-inch this and a one-inch that and do a pinch twist. I'm like, okay, what, what's a pinch twist, an ear twist, and a, okay, oh, they're the same thing, okay. So all the different descriptions you had for things, there was no dictionary. But I read this description and eventually I held up what was this tiny little dolphin and I had to look at it three different ways to work out where the dolphin was, but it was so cute. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of my early learning was just written description and you had to work it out yourself. And if it didn't look like the, what they said it looked like, so if, you know, it was a description of a mermaid, if it didn't look like a mermaid, you had to reread and go, okay, where did I go wrong? It's sort of where my journey has been from written descriptions and having to imagine it myself as I'm making it and after I've made it to retweak it to actually make it look like what they said it should look like. You know, the proportions are a bit off here. I'm going to shrink that a little and increase that a bit. And inches are not inches. If you think a 260 isn't really two inches wide, it's a little less than that. So you think of a two-inch bubble it's not a full perfect circle. It's actually longer than a circle because it's longer than it is wide. And so reading descriptions and then tweaking them. So now I'm at a point where I can just pretty much see a picture of twisted decor, pretty much anything and reverse engineer it in my mind and then either straight out produce it or if it's a big something or other, I sit down for a couple of days and write a recipe so that because I know it's going to be more than just one person's worth of work 
So I need to write a recipe so that the people that I'm working with are on the same page as me. And I think the first time I came across that method was working at Balloon Manor. Really appreciated that Larry and Kelly and the folks at Aragami had these big A3 sheets of paper with the uh, castle dimensions on it, like we were working on the turret. And it's, you know, had how many balloons around and then how many balloons for the outer layer and then how many layers up you did that. And that breakdown, you know, Larry could just hand these sheets out to the different group leaders and the castle was made. He didn't have to go around and individually go, okay, you need to make that a bit bigger or that a bit smaller. And, um, okay, wait, you need to put a black one in there and, and that one needs to be grey. It was all written down and we could just take that recipe and reproduce the turret, the same as the other three, four groups doing a turret, unknown to a lot of people. No, there were three, there were meant to be four turrets and four walls for the castle, which is what it ended up being. A lot of people don't know this, but there were three turrets and five walls built the first day. They had too many copies of the wall one and not enough of the turret. So our group being the fastest was given the task of making another turret. And then we didn't have enough grey balloons because we'd used them all up in that extra wall. It was the inside story of Balloon Manor. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. That experience with Balloon Manor was what made me go, I want to do that. I want to do big stuff. I want to do group community stuff. I want to lead a team to make it, which led to me doing 3D graphic design and a whole bunch of other side projects that have uh, fleshed out my job as an artist a lot more. Wow, this is really quite a journey from learning that, from reverse engineering that design back in the convention when you just just started to actually go into twisting designs, learning from the written word because that was what's available back then and slowly improving your techniques through also going to Balloon Manor and Twist and Shout and winning there and eventually through the Paradables uh, by Dave Brenn, understanding that you can scale up. And boy, oh boy, did you scale up because you didn't just take the cylinder and totally got tons of designs out of the cylinder so that your customers could get exactly what they wanted. Or even sometimes they just tell, tell you, surprise me, and boy, oh boy, you do some really yummy designs. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> that in a minute. But then... These days, like with video training and online training, you've been able to get to the point where nowadays, like Balloon Artist College actually sells the Dave Brand Paradable scores and your, the Narel Fouché experience side by side so that people could speed up their journey and learn immediately, you know, how to do the Dave Brand Paradable concept with the dragon, which is gorgeous, or how to do one of your designs that are totally different and, and unique by now. So tell us a little bit about what did Balloon Artist College play in your journey of, of growing to where you are today? I'm loving being part of this international community. It used to be just me going, I need to move to America. I need to move to America. To now realizing that there's a huge balloon industry of decorators and people pushing the the boundaries in Israel, in Europe. I was aware of the Japanese stuff 
particularly their dresses, but also their huge dragons that go throughout the entire shopping centre. I just want to support Balloon Artist College. I will very much admit I'm really bad at actually absorbing a lot of the material. I hardly ever go there, but I'm going to be a life member because it's a resource that I didn't have when I first started out and there's no way I want this resource to die. The closest thing I had was Balloon HQ and I'm a lifetime subscriber to that because basically I want to give back what has been developed by yourself and Larry and the other folks that put Balloon HQ together, Mike Belzar and Sheena Beaverson or something like that. Can't remember their names properly, sorry. I've probably butchered them. But these people like yourself who aren't insular, they don't just hold on to the information themselves until they get invited to a convention and, okay, well, if you turn up to my lecture, I'll let you have a little bit of information and then you can buy my notes. In contrast to my husband, who is still caught up in the magic realm, where magicians, you can buy a specific trick. They won't give you any hints, any details of how it might be done until you've bought it. And even then, they're a little bit cagey, like, you know, you you can't change it from what it is because I don't want you developing it a little bit further and then selling it again. The balloon industry is a lot, lot more open to sharing ideas. And when I first started out, I could get my hands on Marvin Hardy 260 balloons, Marvin Hardy's advanced 260 balloons, and that was it. This cheapy one that my sister found, I can't even remember what it's called, but there is one animal that I keep doing in that. They called it the baby dinosaur. I call it my I don't know, which is an idea from from Marvin Hardy's advanced 260s in that if someone's, you know, say, oh, what would you like? Uh, I don't know. That's what I make. It was a great, cute little idea that I picked up really early in my balloon career. If someone says, I don't know, you go, oh, I haven't made one of those for ages. Awesome. And I know exactly what I'm going to make. It's this cute little thing. It's one balloon. They make it out of a 260. I've changed it into a 160 and you put lots of little poodle puffs, but you know about eight of them along the tail. So that's my I don't know because I don't know what it is. It's just cute. (laughs) So, yeah, the journey's been really interesting. Balloon Artist College, I love, absolutely love the challenges. I love the fact that you don't have to participate in all of them. There was the performance one. I'm not big at videoing myself. So I read that challenge and went, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. But it was all sort of stuff I'd done in drama classes and I'd already done it. So I didn't feel like I needed to compete, video it and show everyone. So I still read what the challenges were, but I thought, no, I'll let someone else win this one. (laughs) I don't need to take the prize away from them. I'm very competitive. Whenever there's a balloon artist challenge, I try to not only replicate exactly what the previous person, uh, what, what the challenge is, but I try and push myself further. So in the first challenge that was about columns, which, by the way, that first challenge launched the bulk of my career. I'll get to that in a minute. Remind me if I don't tell you. The first challenge, there was that baby boy column. Well, I was getting my gallbladder out as the, ch- the challenge was being rolled out. I knew that 
it would be just before Halloween that I was back to be able to participate in the challenge. So I actually ordered all Halloween colours. And for the baby boy, I found this little toddler Frankenstein that was very cute. So I knew it was not going to be done in baby blue. The champagne bottle, I didn't do a champagne bottle. I did a poison bottle. And then when the instructions came out about the cork popping out, I'm like, oh, the cork is big on this bottle and well and truly wedged in there. So I had to modify it and I did bubbles and gases leaking out instead. But I like to push myself extra in those challenges. So scale something up, scale something down, change the colour scheme with the drawing challenge, which I really loved. I'm not a big changer with my drawings. I absolutely loved the cutie dolls that Nifty Balloons put out. That really picked up my drawing, uh, you know, artwork on balloons, uh, a big deal. Oh, and finding out about edding pens, you wouldn't believe how long it took. It took me ages before I, I, I had tried every white pen on the blooming market. It was even hard to get Sharpies back then when I did my first trip to America. Becky Goodyear, who's Pickles the Clown in California, she took us to, was it a Costco or something like that? Yeah, Costco. And um, I saw like this 50-pack of Sharpies in all different colours where you could get just the boring plain black Sharpie in Australia. And I saw this pack and I was like, oh, my God, I have to have that. And I still use that same pack. You know, some of the colours I don't use very often. And then when the click pen version came out, I'm like, I've got to get every colour available in those. And Eddings, I've got Eddings in every size. I've got a few different colours. I've found some on on, um, eBay that are for geologists. They write on, on rocks with them. So I've been able to source my Edding pens in all different shapes and sizes and colours. I don't use them a lot, but I do like them. I'm a stationary addict. It's really bad. I'm a stationary and craft person, very much so. Balloons is just a medium that I can do in public and get paid really well for, whereas things like cross-stitch and that sort of stuff, the hours that I put into it, I'm not selling it for my hourly rate because, yeah, I never get paid enough. I've designed my own cross-stitch things as well and reverse-engineered that. But. <laughs> we'll keep that to, to, the, to the other podcast, uh, the one about crafts and... Uh, <laughs> I want to hear the story. This is really important. Like, you've been doing the challenges. Basically, we in Balloon Artist College, we do four challenges every year. And that way, people can challenge themselves. They can build their skills. But they also get some marketing value out of it and you Narelle, you jumped into the water with our first challenge with the columns oh, and yeah. the movables. What happened? Tell us the story. The first challenge, like I said, was right at the end of my gallbladder surgery. My birthday parties and things were were slowing down and I jumped into the challenge going, you know, I'm just gonna do this. And I knew that I had a regular customer that had booked me for a Halloween party where I could take a couple of columns. A friend was having a a Halloween party a couple of nights earlier that finished early for the kids. So I knew I could take a couple there, but there were 13 blooming columns. I'm like, what do I do with the rest of them? So I made a couple that looked like ladybugs and I did one. My daughter had a big foil snowflake and I made it look all frozen and gorgeous. And then they were just sitting in my house and I'm just like, 
what do I do with these? So the frozen one, which was all in lovely blue colours, my son has autism, so I promised foil balloons are reusable. I have kept every foil balloon my kids have ever been given and I'm going to blow them up at their 21st birthday. So I've got, you know, welcome new little baby, first birthday balloons, fifth birthday balloons. They're all going to get blown up at their 21st birthday. I'm a big fan of saving and reusing, particularly foil balloons. So I couldn't give this one away because it was for my daughter's 10th birthday. She had a frozen party. So I swapped that one for a big blue balloon and I took it to the Autism Association because their colour is blue. And I dropped one off to both my kids' schools. Got, the school got one each. So, you know, basically I kind of thought of the um, Balloon Appreciation Month sort of idea that a few people had been tossing around. I really had no idea to, where to drop these ones off. So the last two, I dropped one off to my city council. Haven't heard anything more about that. And the last one, I wanted to drop it into my local shopping centre, but there was also another balloon twister who came halfway across the city and twisted balloons at my local supermarket, local shopping centre. Shopping centre equals mall, big lots of shops. So I didn't feel comfortable treading on his territory, but I thought, look, this is a decor piece. It's not balloon, you know, it's not balloon twisting. And I'd never actually approached them to say, hey, I do balloons. So I dropped this in to the front desk and I said, look, can you just hand this on to the marketing manager? I got an email a couple of days later going, oh, my goodness, I love that balloon that you dropped in. Can we have a meeting? Can we talk, please, please? I'm like, um, okay. And she goes, at the meeting, she's like, okay, so you're local? Oh, that's great. Look, we've got a few events coming up, but we need uh, some stuff. What can you do? And I'm just like, um, I can twist balloons. No, no, bigger. What can you do bigger? And I'm like, oh, I've done a little bit of decor stuff and some columns and I showed her all the columns that we've done for the challenge and she's like, oh, oh, I love these. And I just heard about paradables, hadn't done any. And I said, oh, there's these paradable things as well and you can do costumes. And I showed her the dress that I'd done of Armelie. She's like, oh, my God, you can do dresses with balloons. Oh, and costume. Oh, 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 what can I use you in? And she was just so enthusiastic and so and she goes oh you're a local oh I love supporting local people and so that that was Sarah and she's my champion the champion building system thing I didn't have to coax her into being a champion she then went from the little meeting with me which took about two hours over a cup of coffee we can both talk a lot it was a great meeting she then went to all the other marketing managers that are owned by Vicinity. Now, Vicinity is pretty much Australia, or at least it is in WA, the biggest umbrella company that owns a good half to two-thirds of the main shopping centres in Perth, not to mention a whole bunch of regional ones as well. So she went to the marketing manager's meeting and absolutely raved about me to all the other marketing managers. And then the phones just kept ringing and I had jobs all over the place. She's gotten me in to do the balloon um, the balloon workshop, which is also available on Balloon Artist College. So I'm doing that this school holidays there. But, yeah, she just keeps telling everyone about me. She's now stepped up the ladder. She's now regional marketing coordinator for the whole area. So she's not at my local shop anymore. So I can't pop in and just have a co- coffee with her. But whenever she's in the area, she gives me a little text and I say, oh, Sarah, Sarah, where are you? I come and say hi. 
she's often at launches and things that I'm doing balloons at. She goes, oh, goody, you got this one as well. And then for that, the one we did last school holidays with the big handbag and the shoe, she just said, Narelle, I'm booking you. I want a couple of costumes and fashion. And that's all she gave. That was the only direction she gave me. She goes, I know you're going to come up with something amazing. And I said, I could do a handbag in Living Coral because Living Coral is the Pantone colour of the year 2019. So, you know, I'm up with what, what's fashionable. I don't wear it. but <laughs> And I kind of thought a shoe. Yeah, a high heel shoe is going to be a bit hard to turn into a costume because you can't get a body in that little heel. But what about Converse? And I knew that the, this was a, um, an outlet store, like an outlet mall, and I knew they had a Converse store. And if I didn't quite make it Converse, it wouldn't be that one shoe store because there were quite a few, you know, more the casual style of shoes. So basically I made two designs, one for each end of the shopping centre. So one was the really fashionable, high-end fashion, very expensive handbags. And the other end of the store is a lot of the sports stores and your sportswear. And that was an absolute riot. We're actually booked for three hours, but I accidentally did six hours. And she goes, don't worry, bill me for the whole lot. So, yeah, <laughs> she's, she's a very generous and she always makes sure that we've got, you know, she provides us with lunch and cookies and drinks and she looks after her, her VIPs, as she calls us. So, yeah, the one tip I can give people is find yourself a Bloomin' Sarah. She's fabulous. So, And I think this is a, not a coincidence that you find her because you had to, first of all, challenge yourself to go out oh, yeah. there and to show appreciation to other people and not to worry about, well, will I be able to sell it or not? I'm just going to go there into the shopping mall and give it as a gift. And so many big projects have been hired to do ever since that day, a couple of years ago by now. These days, I think it's so heartwarming to see how these days you actually have a course, two courses in Bernardis College where you share the entire spec of how to create those parables and huge sculptures. And even we've separated two courses into topics. So one of them is with food, with a lot of food-related stuff like uh, vegetables and fruits and hamburger and the cupcake and really <laughs> all sorts of huge costumes that you can create either as a balloon, the copies or as a costume. And the spec, when I say spec, it basically means That is a, a picture that you can print and hand out to an employee or, or a helper. And you can actually just walk through this guide and inflate the balloons in the same order, in the same sizes. And if you follow the guide and a few tips inside of it, you can actually build the costume. And you can see a picture of the final piece. All those pictures are from actual events that you've been selling these. Yeah. So this is real. This is not something hypothetical. You can actually make these. You can actually get these amazing pictures. Plus, you are so kind and generous, Narelle, to include those pictures into the courses. So you can look at it, but you can also use it to portray the message to your customers and give them some options. And this is just so practical as a way to go into costumes fast or even to challenge yourself with the ability to understand linking balloons. Understanding linking balloons is a tool that can 
actually help you scale up your entire business as a balloon artist. So no matter if you started or if you're right now doing mainly twisting, or maybe you're doing twisting and balloon decor, or maybe you're only doing balloon decor, but going into creating bigger linking balloons-based uh, designs can help you even if you don't want to be inside a costume because you can just make them as balloon decor pieces. Like I remember your banana floating in the shopping mall yep. on the grocery area where you could see a pile of bananas that are real and then this huge banana floating on top of it. And it's just pretty. It just is useful. The added bonus is that all of my designs are air-filled. There is absolutely no helium involved, which means that you can actually get about three weeks out of a sculpture that's inside. We're talking in Australia in the summer with the air conditioning blasting and then it gets hot at night and the air conditioning blasting again. I've had three, four weeks with these air-filled ones. The, you only need a tiny bit of fishing line or mono, monofilament line to string these up. If you hold a bag of balloons, that's about how heavy these sculptures are. They're not that heavy. So you only need a little bit of fishing line, you know, a small little line, which means that the bulk, absolute bulk of your art piece is biodegradable, which has been another big selling point for me is that my use of foils is to an absolute minimum. So, you know, there's the occasional time I'll put letters using those little foil letters, there's a, you know, if I need to put a little decal, I might use a foil, but they're all reusable. And I tell the clients, look, 90% of my sculpture is, can go back into the ground. It's biodegradable. In fact, if you want, I can pop it at the end of your event and I'll take it to my house and I'll compost it. And for a lot of the big shopping centers in Australia, Particularly a lot of places are trying to ban balloons. We've got a lot of pressure. There's a whole suburb or several suburbs that the um, city councils have banned balloons. I've actually managed to get into a couple of those saying these balloons are going nowhere. I've had a few people nearly cancel a booking with me because they found that they're not allowed to use balloons. And I've said, can you give me the number of the person who told you you're not allowed to use balloons, the council member, whatever. And I've actually spoken to them and, and convinced them that actually my decorating with balloons is a lot more environmentally friendly than using plastic flowers or streamers or other billboards and signs and plastic decorations everywhere. Mine is not plastic. It doesn't have to be stored anywhere. It's not going to make a very big footprint in landfill if it goes there. And when it goes there, it's not going to be there for long. It's actually going to biodegrade and probably take some of the stuff around it with it. And in actual fact, I stick to my word and I will go back to a location, even if it's an hour away, at the end of their event and I will pop the stuff for them because a lot of people don't like popping balloons. So I found that, that adding that as a service, I don't charge for that. And sometimes I'll say, look, I can't do it this afternoon, but can I you know, do it in three days' time? Just put them aside and I'll come and pop them. It means I get all my knot lamps back. I can reuse those. Basically, the cost of the knot lamp covers my fuel that I don't have to then go to Ikea and get another bunch of knot lamps. I can reuse them. I pop the stuff. I bring it home. I deflate the foil balloons. You don't know how many times I've reused foil balloons. 
And it's only when they eventually get a hole in them that I have to dispose of those. I've put vinyl lettering on foils, on bubbles. You can take the vinyl lettering off and reuse the bubble balloons. Yeah, everything I do, I have a really, really strong environmental stance. And all of that is I don't use, I don't have a helium cylinder in sight. And being able to say no helium, very few foils. I don't have to put strings on my balloons. Yes, I use a tiny little bit of monofilament fishing line but I'm responsible with where that ends up. This so, is yeah. quite yeah. A, an important message. And, and you managed to, you know, not just get better customers through trying it, going out there, but also to be loyal to your stance on the environment. And I so much appreciate you sharing your little tips and advice of how to reuse the foils and to minimize the impact and even to be responsible about that with uh, uh, offering this as a service for the customer. I think it's totally cool for the customer's point of view to have that as a service and to be able to see you as a trusted service provider that is responsible and that will make sure that everything is composted or recycled or whatnot. We're kind of running out of time and we, we could talk forever. But I do want to say again, guys, if you want to learn more about Marel Fouché's about her work, see some of her pictures. You even included some pictures of your amazing organics designs and all sorts of designs that you can just be inspired by Narelle's work. This is an experience course, so it is even included for our members in Balloon Artist College, which is the way that we roll. We, we always try to spoil our BSC members. <laughs> Thank you. He's the king of spoiling members. So, Narelle Fouché, this is really, I feel emotional now. Thank you so much for all your support of what I do of Balloon Artist Podcast and of Balloon Artist College. And thank you so much for contributing to, to the platform. But also, thank you for helping people empower their businesses, getting their heads into more designs and more costumes and more paradables. And this is, I think, something that is hot right now for a reason. Because of the ecological reasons, like you don't need helium and it's all latex mostly, pretty much. But also because it's also very profitable for the Oh, people. very, very. <laughs> and and for, guys... For, for about $200 worth of balloons, I usually can charge a good two, two and a half thousand for the job. That gives you a fair ratio. Good return on investment. Plus those type of events, the, it's so visual and so big and so many people watch these paradables that it also creates additional uh, gigs as well. Okay, we really have to go now. So guys, thank you so much for listening for Balloon Artist Podcast. If you go to balloonartistpodcast.com, we will put a link from there to the Narel Fouché experience. We'll also put a link from there to your website so that people can actually see what you do as well, not just through Balloon Artist College, but also directly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Narel. And thank you. see you guys next week on Balloon Artist Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Narel Fouché. I think that this is really an inspiring story. And if you go to balloonartistcollege.com, inside the vault, 
you should be able to find the Narel Fouché Experiences courses with all of the specs that she've made so that you could go into decorating with huge designs with quick links or into costumes in a very efficient way. She has uh, an upcoming course, Narel Fouché 3, which if you are hearing this by now, it should be available. Uh, so you can find it in the BlueNartistCollege.com website. And in the Narel Fouché Experience 3, you could actually find a Santa Claus and all sorts of holiday-related designs, huge costumes and designs that you could use for decor, uh, all of them with linking balloons, all of them with the spec so that you could download the spec, print it, or just have it on your phone and know exactly what to connect where and how to inflate. So this is a PDF course or a picture course that just gives you everything you need, that saves you time and helps you in the operation of a project that uses a lot of balloons. This is really an exciting milestone for anyone that wants to improve his decor game or his costume game. Thank you for listening for the Balloon Artist Podcast and see you next week. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here and this is Season 8, Chapter 6. We had a really nice interview with Narel Fouché and I want to share with you this story or a tip or an anecdote that will help you in your life and in your business. And it's the story of the thorn. And the, the, the message of this would be to keep the thorn in. That's the title of the story. So imagine a situation where you have a, a thorn that gets stuck into your hand. This happens, you were maybe uh, hiking in the woods and touching a, a tree or, or a bush and you get a thorn, like a split of a wood, to go into your hand. Now, that's painful. And the only thing you want to do at that moment is take the thorn out. And maybe you don't have tweezers at the moment. You try to take it out. You can't manage. You need to go and find someone with tweezers. And you go and you walk about and you find it and you get a thorn out. Okay. So we've all been there in that situation. Well, now let's imagine something else happened. For example, maybe you also, on top of the thorn, you have a wound on your other arm. And by focusing on the thorn and the pain of the thorn, uh, you're actually ignoring a bigger wound that requires your attention. Uh, that is what I see constantly when coaching over 100 balloon artists in business. Uh, you have something that is troubling you. Sometimes that something is actually a shiny object, by the way. And sometimes it's like an actual problem you want to fix. But you're not asking yourself this one immortal, ultra-critical question. And that is, is this the right time to get this thorn out? Or should I attend first to something else that is way more important that I chose to fix? Um, you will get the thorn out, don't worry. But for now, keep it in. Keep the thorn in. Absorb the pain. Overcome the pain. And choose what to fix first. By doing so, you're going to develop a muscle 
that that muscle will serve you in business more, better than, than a lot of other muscles, like definitely better than uh, just getting rid of the thorn. The thorn's damage to you is not as, as much as not expressing patience towards your customers. So in general, in business, you need the KLT factor, know, like, and trust, and you need respect and patience as the two bonus secret sauce uh, virtues that your customers need. So every time they need to choose someone, they will choose someone they know, they like, and they trust that shows them that they res can respect them. Um, uh, like the customer can respect the, the provider and, um, and that the customer, that the provider shows that they have patience. Patience is the ultimate way of showing confidence. So keep the thorn in, find out what is the most important problem in your business that you need to solve and walk through that, make a conscious de decision about when to get the thorn out. This uh, story and anecdote was shared with you as a metaphor for business. Don't actually get a thorn into your hand and keep it in. It's a metaphor for business and for decision-making that I find so important. I hope you've enjoyed this tip section and see you guys next week on the Balloon Artist Podcast. <laughs>